Whether you're thinking about giving the gift of art or marking a milestone in your life like a new job, anniversary or buying your first house with a piece, art is a unique way to celebrate those special moments. Now in its 20th year, the Affordable Art Fair will be back in beautiful Battersea Park from the 12th to the 15th of March and on Hampstead Heath from the 30th of April to the 3rd of May. Each fair showcases over 100 galleries, bringing together over a thousand original artworks from everything from limited edition prints by well-known names to a curated selection of ones to watch. And don't forget, National Art Pass holders can enjoy 50% off tickets to fairs by showing their pass on the door or by using the code ARTFUND online. To book tickets and shop over 10,000 hand-picked artworks, simply visit affordableartfair.com. Thanks to our sponsor, the Affordable Art Fair, for making this podcast possible. As you can probably tell, visiting galleries and museums is one of my absolute favourite activities. And our sponsor, the National Art Pass, makes that a whole lot easier, smoother and cheaper for us art lovers and gallery goers. Not only does the National Art Pass grant you free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK, such as Kensington Palace, Cardiff Castle, the Royal Pavilion and the Horniman Museum, it also gives 50% of major exhibitions, including the British Museum, Tate, the V&A and many more. Membership is just £73 for an entire year, and for those under 30, it's a mere 45 and for lucky Great Women Artists listeners, you can also receive an exclusive tote bag designed by Malika Fav when you buy a National Art Pass by entering the code GREAT at checkout. Just go to artfund.org great. Thanks to our sponsor, the National Art Pass, for making this podcast possible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most of them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities so you, the listener, can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. I'm so excited to say that today we are in the studio of one of London's most exciting painters, Jade Faradotimi. Working in painting and drawing, Jade is known for her large-scale, vibrant and complex emotional landscapes that offer an insight into the artist's quest for identity. Made up of loose, expressive and translucent brushstrokes, when witnessed in the flesh, the energy and conviction in her medium is completely infectious. A fairly recent graduate of the Slade School of Art, where she completed her BA, and the Royal College of Art, where she completed her MA in 2017, the London-born and bred Jade has since gone on to exhibit widely across the UK, Germany and America. These include solo exhibitions at her gallery Pippi Holdsworth here in London, as well as her first UK institutional exhibition at Pier in East London, which was one of my absolute favourite shows of last year. Despite being only 26, Jade has received high critical acclaim for her paintings, having been awarded and shortlisted for many prestigious painting prizes, and this summer will be included in the upcoming Liverpool Biennial, as well as having a solo exhibition in Japan, a place that has resonated strongly with her her entire life. Speaking about her work, she has said, Painting is like looking into a windowpane and seeing the reflection of herself. 
the context in which she lives and the distorted fusion of the two. Welcome, Jade. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the podcast today. So I've been lucky enough to witness all of your solo shows really? <laughs> in London at Pippi Holdsworth and Pier. <laughs> and each time I see one of your works in a new show, it gives me, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this infectious energy. I mean, I'm looking around your studio right now with these works and there is just so much expression. You feel completely consumed in them as well. They are totally overwhelming. As a viewer, you almost enter this otherworldly state in which paint takes over in all its wisps and strokes. And it also feels very performative, which I would love to get onto a bit later. But first, I'd love you to start off by just talking to us a bit about paint and what paint means to you. I feel like it should be so much easier to just say that I think as I'm surrounded by all my works in the studio, they're confronting me right now and they're like, OK, are you going to really explain? Are you going to really be able to <laughs> get how I am across I mean I feel like paint is an entity in itself and I remember when I was in Japan this is when I first started thinking about paint when I did my exchange in Japan and I met a artist out there and whilst I was struggling with my own work and thinking about how could you possibly make a painting that feels like yours how can you possibly have a language that really feels like your own and when I saw his paintings for the first time in the flesh and I saw him, that's when I thought of paint as character. Paint can exude so much character. And in that sense, I feel like I see paint as a living thing in itself. And in that sense, I envy it because it just holds so much character. I mentioned in the introduction that you said painting is like looking into a window pane and seeing the reflection of yourself, the context in which you live and the distorted fusion of the two. Can you kind of expand on what you mean by this? I wrote a piece called The Window, or My Window. It's quite a heavy piece of writing. There's a lot going on. It's very layered in the conversations I'm having about painting, windows. They all kind of interact with each other and what those things can be and how they converse with each other. But for me, when you look at a window, three things can happen. You can either look beyond the window and see the kind of scenery beyond and then you can just see your own reflection. But there's something really wonderful that happens when you notice your own reflection kind of merging with the scene beyond. And for me, that kind of mirrors painting. I would describe it as a moment, a nudge where you feel a sense of desire or place, a pull that kind of interferes with yourself or reacts with yourself and reveals a lot about yourself. And I think this isn't an individual experience to the artist. I think it happens when we all look at something visual and we're drawn to it. We can't quite understand or say right then why we're being pulled towards it. But for me, that kind of mirrors that experience of this scene beyond and yourself. Almost like a sense of belonging for me personally. But I think belonging, when I say that, when I'm looking at paintings or when I'm looking at my own work, I mean, there's something quite familiar yeah. whilst remaining unfamiliar. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. And and when was it that you kind of really developed this particular language that you have? I mean, when did you, maybe I should start by asking maybe more about your beginnings in art. I don't know. Do people really think I want to be an artist? I want to become an artist. Aren't you just an artist? Yeah. I think that's partly what academia does, right? You have to go through a system or you feel like you might have to study. But I've met so many people that do so well and haven't been to art school. Yeah. So... I'm hesitant to even say I really believe in that, but I feel like 
this idea I want to become an artist only really happens when you're at school because you feel like you're learning something in order to feel like you become something but when I was at the Slade and I was teaching there but even when I was there as a student I feel like once you're there you are like you ju you're just an artist already and yeah. there's personally I feel there shouldn't be in hierarchy and it didn't feel like that school did have a hierarchy in the sense of conversing with your tutors everything's a discussion it's like I've just never thought about when if I wanted to become an artist yeah I think I w I am one <laughs> yeah. and I have always been one I guess the difference would be from when when you're at high school yeah because I didn't do a foundation so I went straight from high school finishing my A-levels to being at the Slade and so there was this idea of I want to study art but I don't think I've ever thought I want to become an artist I mm. felt like I was an artist. There was, I want to be able to do well. Yeah. Or I want people to want to look at my work or I want to want to look at my work. And why is it paint in particular that you use in your medium? Why not sculpture? Have you ever experimented with anything else? For me, paint is a medium that allows me to really have a discussion, mm. I would say. It definitely wasn't a choice in the sense that you know, when I was at the Slade and they asked you, which area do you want to be in? It was no question it was going to be the painting area. It was such a natural response. It was like, I knew I wanted to go to the Slade and I knew that I wanted to paint. And the Slade allowed me to have a conversation through painting, through yeah. discussions with peers and discussions through with tutors and anyone else you meet through that kind of network shall we say and then I continued that through the RCA and I'm still doing it yeah. and I've never questioned it <laughs> yeah I think what draws so many people to your work as well is this incredible unique language of abstraction that you have I mean I don't know if you'd even call your works abstract they are these kind of mysterious landscapes if you think about painting on a very simplistic spectrum of figuration at one end and abstraction at the other each painting sits somewhere in between I hesitate to say that abstract because I see them as possibly figurative especially yeah. the Pierce show for me that mm. that was a fun show to do because the, for me that was a figurative show yeah which everyone would say is abstract and that's completely fine but it was more of me to understand my relationship with figure and character I mean I would say a fraction is describing myself a fraction is describing my experiences moments others I engage with places I've been to things that I have around me I guess they all encompass myself, but I think identity is something so fragile and so visceral as well that it's hard to talk about identity without talking about experience. And it's hard to talk about experience without, for me, painting. You know, I think it's really interesting when I look at your work and I've talked about this with loads of people as this unique language. And I guess what I find really striking about it is that in a way it doesn't really look like it belongs to anything in the history of art not that painting should but a lot of painting does look like other painting in a way but yours to me doesn't at all and I, that's why I think it's really exciting because it's exploring something that I've never seen I'm looking at this incredible diptych right now and there's so much going on it's so complex there are so many different layers colors strokes also just the way that you've applied it and I guess I just want to know what's going on there or what's the kind of context of these works I mean, if we're talking about the context of my language, I guess my language could be described to be as unique as I am. Yeah. But I feel like the start of me painting is quite blurred anyway. But I think it's 
the things I was interested in and the things I still am interested in that might maybe be something that people can see as a visual difference in my paintings to things have been being done before. And also that's a massive compliment. I'm not, I'm always wondering <laughs> like, huh, huh, really? Do, do these really, really look like mine? No, of course they do. Um, that's the whole point yeah. of this whole process. But it's also, I really want to be able to see myself. The things I grew up in East London, in Essex, where it meets East London with a family that wasn't into the arts. I didn't have that engagement with the arts probably until I went to the Slade that was like, oh, you know what? People go to shows all the time. People people know of artists, people know of art history, people know of art theory. I went there and I was like, oh shit, I don't I don't I don't know anything. Yeah. But I knew I was really into anime and I was really into Japanese culture and I really loved soundtracks and I really loved listening to podcasts or talks where people would just talk about the human experience whether that's through what it's like to be anxious what it's like to be stressed I was really interested in how people engage with life mm. and I'm not going to romanticize this and say you know and from that I was suddenly <laughs> you know <laughs> born a painter <laughs> from that I was suddenly born a painter no it made me extremely anxious I felt like I didn't know enough and I should know things and it was very frustrating especially at the beginning at the Slade and when I started painting so I was making these paintings that were coming from the things that I really genuinely enjoyed but it felt like I shouldn't be engaged with those things and they should be catching up if you can catch up on art history and catch up on art but it was also conflicting for me because I didn't want to do that yeah but I felt like I should so I'm who was making you feel like that I think it's the environment of being at an art school there are some people out there who would be like oh really you don't know this you've yeah. got to just not listen to those <laughs> <Yeah>. people like <laughs> geez but um I think it was going to a school, also not having done a foundation, not even sure if I really belonged there or if I'd really gotten in because I was supposed to be there, a bit of insecurity. And then being surrounded by people that just could talk about anything or to me anything at the time to do with art. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I also don't know this artist. And the artists I wouldn't know as well were artists that people like, but you should know. That was a really hard time for me because I I felt like I was conflicted with this idea of I should know these things and I should start reading about these things, but I didn't want to, and so I didn't. Yeah. And I just moped. And that was the best decision, actually, just <laughs> to mope yourself through it. Because actually, at the end, I understood. And by the end, I mean, by the time I graduated the Slade, and I spent a long time there really just not being too happy because I didn't, I was, you know, growing as a person as well. And not realizing at the time that the things that I'm interested in were fine. But um, by the end of the Slade, I was like, well, actually, I've moped all these years. And that's fine. I think I'm just not the type of person that is interested in these certain areas of art that people are talking about. But I have this whole library inside my head of things that I'm really excited about all my life and had so many questions about. Mm. And I feel like if I hadn't had that struggle of I should be doing these things, but I don't want to do these things. So I'm just going to struggle through it. I wouldn't have been able to appreciate that actually 
there are no shoulds. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And that allows me to really enjoy painting from the things that I'm interested in, which is wanting to understand these indescribable moments to me of experience. I have so many questions about life. I have so many frustrations yeah. about life. Yeah. I feel constantly on this kind of tipping point between really feeling like there's things in this world that are really wonderful in terms of the things I've experienced, but being really bloody angry half the time at yeah. the things that I feel like I should have experienced. And it's not that I'm angry that I haven't experienced them. It's more this should, this idea of... Society's a- projection on you, isn't it? It's it's not, you know, no one should think that they should behave in a certain way or it's also why I'm doing this podcast because I want to speak to people who, <laughs> you know, are genuine artists, but also yeah. don't necessarily have to fit into this idea of a canon because yeah. actually what we have been taught in our history is not necessarily a reflection of real life in the world mm-hmm. and but also I think that should also extends beyond being an artist there's how to be a woman how to be a British person yeah am I a British person yeah do people see me like that <laughs> how to function as someone that doesn't know who they are. Mm. I should dress a certain way. I should respond to things in a certain way. Yeah. And I shouldn't be depressed. All those things I always wonder about. I've, the thing that frustrates <laughs> So when I was, so I had a moment when I was quite depressed for a few years and I always thought that, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not romanticizing. I don't want to romanticize mental health issues. But one of the struggles I had wasn't more that people wanted me to be okay. I should be okay. Yeah. And I've always wondered why there's this separation or why do we categorize emotions like that? I mean, depression is is not just an emotion. It's it is an illness. But my point is is that I feel like when we experience things on such an a spectrum why do we suddenly define things and categorize things like emotions or experiences as simply negative or positive yeah and sometimes I wonder if things like sadness anger envy gluttony all those parts of being human if they weren't put into this category maybe it'd be easier to breathe yeah, and I just felt like I couldn't breathe for years. Yeah. And there were a lot of things about myself that I couldn't separate from myself. And I was constantly wanting to rid myself of, but they were actually me. And that was really the start of understanding my language. That moment where I was like, well, fuck it. You know what? I'm not going to be able to, like, I'm already 24. I'm clearly not going to change, but why should I have to? Why isn't it okay just to be me? Mm. and out of that I started really engaging with my work a lot more yeah I really embrace the qualities of myself that I thought that people would see as negative and I let them fill my work I realize I've always been an impatient person I've always been distracted so I work on my paintings in a manner that allows me to really embrace those qualities of myself mm. yeah so I work at a speed that is works for me and if I'm I move on quite quickly and that's fine. And I feel like that's what people are talking about when they're talking about this unique language, yeah. which I'm always confused by because it's just like, <laughs> uh, but I'm just being me. But I guess it's always allowing myself really to flow into the way I paint and translate that into my process. Mm.
Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in your introduction, there is this very performative aspect and this act of painting in a way. And I mean, what I love about painting, actually Celia Poole talked about this, and actually you can see the person's every stroke and every touch. And I think that what I love about, again, just looking at this work, there are these huge sort of luscious wide strokes, but then there are also these tangles. And I like that because that's so expressive but it's also you know what's going on there it's like detangling something I mean I see my paintings as an intertwining of so many forms <laughs> yeah. aspects color yeah. and experiences I'm not surprised that anyone would describe them that way I think that's how I see my works too they're they're almost an amalgamation of forms and experiences that I've been drawn to a question I want to include color in that as well and then I guess the movement and the entanglement you're talking about are the things that I must enjoy the most whilst I'm working. Because I really believe if you find a moment in painting that excites you, why not obsess over it? Yeah. And I've just been obsessing over that moment for a while now. (laughs) A lot goes into every painting, but I guess one particular important aspect to me when I'm working is that each painting has its own identity. Yeah. So the separation between them on a first glance will be the colours, but it will be the marks, the movement, a formal aspect. For me, they're fragments. They're fragments of myself, they're fragments of experience. And I feel like every moment can be dramatic. Mm. Colour's always been a really important aspect of my life. I've always made decisions based on colour. I mean, if you look around the studio, my studio's filled with drawings, writings, things that have colour. I mean, colour is life. You see colour all the time, or if you're fortunate enough to be able to see colour, you can see colour all the time, and you respond to it all the time in the most simplistic of decisions. And and I think the choice of colour isn't separate to painting. It's a part of how I go about life as well. So when I was talking about, I think earlier I said, I take from things I'm drawn to, but when I say that, I mean, I might have this sweater I have, and... I bought it for these wonderful like compositions of color and that color will enter my work in some way. Yeah. And I often extract like that. And um, I wouldn't even say I color match. I definitely don't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I color match. Color creates a reaction. It creates a reaction within me and it creates a reaction on the surface of whatever I'm painting. So there'll be moments when I'm working and I might have this orange and just naturally I respond and I know I want a certain type of blue and then they build over time and they create an environment I'd say. What's interesting is like it's this environment from your environment or what's happening that moment yeah. they are to me what they they seem you know they are extensions of your identity yeah. but they are quite moody and yeah. there is this explosion. am i moody person sorry <laughs> but but there is this kind of explosion of emotion on it well that's what it feels like they feel sensitive they feel vulnerable but at the same time there is also this incredible authority with your work coming back to the idea of the act of painting when you're working I know that you work through the night. I know that, you know, tell me about that. Are you just, do you just explode onto a canvas because they are so performative? I would say that the energy that goes into my work is because they are engaging with a moment. But also it's definitely 
a part of the musical experience that enters the studio when I'm working at night. I listen to a lot of soundtracks whilst I paint. Yeah. The soundtracks can vary from animations, Japanese animations, to films I've never watched, animes that I've never watched, yeah. game video soundtracks and there's always an element of nostalgia that enters the studio when I was a teenager I spent a lot of time in my bedroom <laughs> kind of having theatrical moments to soundtracks <laughs> let's just leave it at that but um <laughs> great <laughs> but I've always I've always questioned why I was mm. so taken by moments within these pieces of music that would bring me to a state of let's say dramatizing yeah and I like that to return to the studio I like my studio to feel like my bedroom at that time yeah. I had so many questions at that time and I guess a lot of theater happens when I'm painting too yeah but I wouldn't say theater in the sense that I'm embodying whatever that soundtrack was trying to translate no I say that there are swells within the music that I'm listening to that bring so many questions to my head why why am I responding to this? Why is it always these certain moments that move me to an edge of discomfort because I can't identify this experience? I can't put a word to maybe an emotional engagement I'm having. Why am I moving to it? And when I'm painting, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, why is it suddenly that this green is there that, or this line's there that means I need yeah. to run up to it and just really destroy it. Yeah. Um, I guess they are quite performative in a way, but I wouldn't say that I'm performing. I'd just say, I think I'm a, just a dramatic person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then I guess what's interesting as well, I've read about your fascination with Japanese anime, and I guess when I look at the works as well, they feel quite cinematic, they're sort of non-canonical. They fit in a very unique way. And, you know, there is this this sense of dramatism, but also mm. cin cinematic, the way that you create light and the way that you use white. Mm. It's so unique. Yeah. Do you, really? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but, it's, but it also it's pretty interesting to see that you, um, you know, you do listen to soundtracks and you do reference Japanese anime because once you know these about these references, you can kind of see them in there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think the moments of like light and the type of colour you're talking about, I think that's, I think naturally your life enters your work whether you want it to or not. You're not just taking from the things you're choosing to look at. You're taking from a whole catalogue from the day that you've been able to see. Yeah. And they will enter whether they are the centre of the work or whether they're the extra in the work. If And... I guess I just spent so many years watching so many animations. I'm not surprised that that kind of visual language might have entered my work. But there'd be so many people that would also say, I don't see anime in your work. And it's like, that's not what I'm asking anyone to see. And I, I'd be very hesitant to also just talk about my work just in terms of liking anime and soundtracks because so much more has entered that. There's been readings, there's been writings, there's been thoughts, there's been questions about what it means, what the self is. I would say all those things have created a visual language that I'm equally very aware of whilst equally surprised by yeah. half the time. I mean, part of the reason why I love a lot of Japanese animations is colour. Yeah. 
if you find that you're drawn to something, always question why. Yeah. Always find a way to put into words because it's not as simple as I just like anime or I just like clothes or I just like color. What is it about color? What is it about animations? What is it about that particular animation? I guess those are the questions that I have whilst I'm working as well. So I extract a lot and I'd be hesitant to say I simplify. No, I choose. I choose or I rec- try to recognize what it is about a certain thing that I'm drawn to that I will allow to enter my work. Mm. And why were you drawn to Japanese anime so much? I mean, I've been wondering that for a long time myself. How did you get into it? How did I get into it? Well, when I was a kid, I watched, I don't know if anyone remembers, but Sailor Moon uh, was on TV. (laughs) Uh, I was obsessed with that show. If we ever go for karaoke, I can sing (laughs) the intro. Um, But I remember I was at high school and I remembered that I used to watch Sailor Moon as a kid. And I was talking to one of my friends at the time. She was like, oh, do you know that? you know there's a lot more than just what you saw on tv there's this whole show not all of it has been translated into english because i watched it dubbed at the time yeah i was like oh so i'm gonna revisit that and i watched it four times after that and then i was like wait what is this thing that i'm watching and i went back to her i was like she was like well you know don't keep re-watching i've got more recommendations for you you're watching japanese anime and so she recommended to me at the time a great show called fruits basket for my happiness <laughs> i did all the like kind of main animations that people were excited about at the time and i just became obsessed i think i get obsessed in general mm. over things yeah and I preferred to stay in my room all day and watch anime from the early hours of the morning and probably not sleep until the night. But for me, when I think, I've questioned this a lot and there's something really wonderful about how, and I think this happens a lot in Japanese cinema, not just, it's not singular to anime, where the way that we can experience emotions is so much more on a spectrum. One of the wonderful things I find about Japanese animations personally, or at least the ones that I've watched, is that the emotional spectrum is a lot broader. Mm. There's a lot more subtlety in the things that you can experience or how you can respond to something. And that comes through in characters. And it feels like a more honest engagement with things like fear. I feel like there's just less hope in Japanese (laughs) animations, all the ones that I've watched. And I've really enjoyed that. I always was really frustrated when I'd watch things and there's this glorification of the hero yeah to the point that the hero would only have one moment of real like turmoil and then they'd probably succeed i loved that i'd watch things and there wasn't necessarily a happy ending half yeah. the time but it wasn't even about that it would just be about growing or mm. it would be i find myself crying to things that weren't even sad and i was like but what is this emotion i was experiencing yeah and i was really engaged with story yeah the story element but that's such an interesting thing to tie in with your work as well, because you mentioned earlier that writing's a big part of your work. I wonder if there are any narratives to your work as well. I mean, there aren't any narratives to my work because my life's my work and I don't really want to narrate my life through yeah. my work. But <laughs> when I write, that is an extension of thought for me. I like to describe that as putting my thoughts onto paper if I'm writing literally yeah. like that. And they will be a reaction just like, or a response just like the next mark in the canvas. I'll often be working and I'll have to put the paintbrush down and write something down and then I'll put it on the wall. And writing has allowed me to think. I guess the things I write down are the things I'm always thinking. Yeah. And it's like, why not, why not record these moments too? Why yeah. have everything just come through 
on a surface of canvas and usually they lead to each other or they become each other or they respond to each other I really enjoy writing it's Mm. such a which is weird to me because I never even thought I'd be someone that could even say oh I enjoy writing and so yeah I do writing but then what I'm really intrigued about this kind of story element as well is um, and is why I ask is because you have such significant titles to your works and to um, your shows so you know some of them have been called the numbing vibrancy of characters in play or present your highness and turmoil or heliophobia you know these are in a way they really give your viewer something you're like okay heliophobia okay what, what is she trying to say about this and I think when someone gives a title to something a title such as like when Teddy left you know mm. they seem very emotive mm. and narrative titles and in a way as a viewer it's quite generous because we almost project something an idea onto the canvas I mean my titles are how I think in my head yeah <laughs> I find Amazing. I find that's how I translate my life yeah. that's how I translate these moments or this is how I translate questions I think I mean if you ever have a long conversation with me analogies always enter every conversation but I always find my analogies to be quite obscure and that's something else that I really embrace I guess my titles are questions too yeah and I actually find it quite fun to title my paintings <laughs> in that way but they always reveal something mm. so just as someone might see my titles and feel like oh wow there's so much there they're they're communicating something they do the same for me at the end I'm like oh wow so why was that called when Teddy's left I could easily answer that question actually but they're a way to reflect on the work as well and because they are associations I never try to title a work I believe all my work should have titles just like I hope everyone has a name yeah and yeah they just feel as natural as when I named my first kitten I don't know (laughs) (laughs) so in a way these paintings are reality but they're also not reality and maybe this is quite a difficult question to ask but to what extent are these paintings reality are they almost an escapism from reality or are they reality now I'm going to ask you why do you look at my paintings and think they're not reality because they seem like this otherworldly place and a place that I want to try and tackle yeah and you know I'm looking around and I want to go beyond that scratch because there's a texture beyond that that seems like another world and you want to get to I think the layers in your work are really fascinating because I can see that yellow behind that but it's almost got a kind of world in front of it yeah I guess I mean they're not your reality but they're mine yeah (laughs) I want to get inside your head (laughs) yeah they're they're, this is reality to me this feels more like reality than the world I step into every day that's why I can't stop making yeah and without it I'm so confused about this idea that the place we live in where everyone defines themselves or feels like the need to define something is reality it doesn't resonate with how I am as a person. So I guess really what you are seeing is how I see the world. As an outsider, I guess. Yeah. It's like, you know, what what is inside that? It's yeah. so fascinating. But I guess we look at work and or we look at things and we try, in order to understand them, we see them in a way that will be the easiest to translate that information into our head. So because this doesn't feel like reality, it must be of another place. Mm. But I think they are actually a more entanglement of reality mm. in that sense. They've all come from things that are very real. And I think I spent a long time so confused 
by reality that this is a place where I feel like I really belong or I'm creating these moments of belonging. There's actually a wonderful quote by a book I started reading called Words Are My Matter and it's by Ursula K. Le Guin. And in it she says, home isn't mum and dad and sis and bud. Home isn't where they have let you in. It's not a place at all. Home is imaginary. Home is imagined comes to be. And I read that and in that moment I was like, yes, I completely get what they're saying. I've always felt very displaced in general and when I'm in the studio, when I see these works, they're all elements of something that is home or reality. And I think reality is what you want it to be or how you see it and it can be imagined too. Or at least that's how I translate that to myself. Um, if that answers your question. I think it makes sense for everything as well. I mm-hmm. think that's what, as a as a viewer, that's what you're trying to do in every artwork yeah. you look at or every artist you speak to. It's it's trying to get inside the head, especially with this kind of blurring abstract and figurative yeah. work that we've kind of crossed on. That's what I'm trying to, yeah. you know, who are these characters? Who are these lines? And I guess also whenever someone asks me that question, like, <laughs> where are these from? I'm like, but don't you know, that's what I'm trying to figure out too. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to understand what's in my head. There's yeah. so much there to work with that I think that's why my studio just explodes with thoughts all the time and questions and all these canvases and all these writings on the walls I react to things so quickly and I process things so quickly that I just need to I mean why not record those and why not question them afterwards so you can ask me what's happening inside here but I'm asking myself that question (laughs) whilst I'm painting as well and you're showing us as well (laughs) yeah and I'm showing you (laughs) And I'm interested as well because you you talked earlier about, um, you know, this interest in Japan. And actually, I know that you grew up in London and you still live in London. And how much does environment shape your work or how much, again, this feeling of displacement and, and how much does going somewhere else make you feel something? I mean, environment is everything to me. I mean, the studio we're in, I picked because of the windows, because there's trees outside these windows. And I knew the the feel of the studio would change with the seasons environment is why these paintings probably feel like environments because it's always being something I've yearned from an environment where I can feel completely kind of settled in or I don't even think I want to settle in in any particular environment yeah I mean I do everything based on my environments I'm going to stay somewhere because it feels better I can't be in a space that makes me feel uncomfortable my whole studio is about environment this is like five percent of what I'd love it to be yeah and I think environment is so important in that sense because it becomes also a library of things to take from from working as well yeah I mean if you can choose to surround yourself by things that make you think and things that make you feel a certain way why not do that Mm. so it's really important for me to have dolls in my studio dresses in my studio my couches in my studio everything here is a composition of an environment just as I compose my paintings yeah Amazing. Well, as this is the Great Women Artists podcast, we always ask our guests if there was an artist, a female artist, who you'd most like to meet. It could be a filmmaker, it could be a painter, it could be anyone. Who would it be and what would you say to them? You have to give me a moment for this one. (laughs) That is a big question. You should give people that in advance. Hold on. Let's put the mic down. I mean, as I... Wait, hold on. (laughs) 
I mean, it's frustrating because there's so many, especially if it doesn't have to be an artist and it can be anyone. It really makes me realise <laughs> how many males there are in this world. <laughs> but um, if I wanted to meet anyone, I mean, who would that be? The problem is I've already met this person. Oh, I've already met quite a few of them. But that's fine. Because I always wanted to meet Makiko Kudo because her use of colour is, she's like my idol when it comes to colour. And when I met her, I don't even know what I said to her. Um, <laughs> but if I had to say something again, I'd just say thank you. Amazing. Thank you, yeah, for bringing colour into my life through your work as well. And I've met Laura Owens as well. And what did I say to that? I don't know. <laughs> Far too starstruck. <laughs> I, I know. I think I played it cool. I don't remember. But I do remember there was a moment where I just had to pause and just let her know, look, I'm really holding it together. Um, <laughs> That's what you'd say to them. I, I love you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nardi, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you all so much for listening to the 17th episode of the Great Women Artists podcast with the brilliant Jade Fadajatimi. It was such an incredible insight to hear about her practice, process, influences and experience as an artist. I do hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. This podcast was sound edited by the excellent Ellie Clifford. And if you have been enjoying these episodes so far, I would be so grateful if you were to leave a review as it helps others find us. And of course, thank you for listening to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Now in its 20th year, the Affordable Art Fair will be back in beautiful Battersea Park from the 12th to the 15th of March and on Hampstead Heath from the 30th of April to the 3rd of May. Each fair showcases over 100 galleries, bringing together over a thousand original artworks with everything from limited edition prints by well-known names to curated selection of ones to watch. To book tickets and shop over 10,000 hand-picked artworks, simply visit affordableartfair.com. As you can probably tell, visiting museums is one of my favourite activities and thanks to the National Art Pass, you can now access free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK, plus 50% off major exhibitions including the British Museum and Tate. Membership is just £73 per year and for those under 30, it's £45. Just go to artfund.org forward slash great. Thanks to our sponsor, the National Art Pass, for making this podcast possible.